Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. everybody welcome back to not so linear i hope you have been enjoying season two so far and that you've clicked follow to make sure you keep up to date with all of my latest episodes so i know many of my listeners are here in australia and if you are based in some of the cities that are currently in lockdown i hope you're doing okay i think we're in sydney probably week five or so and for my friends and listeners in the uk i hope you enjoy your freedom and that you're enjoying going out to all the clubs and bars that you most definitely deserve. It's really important for me to let you guys know that this episode could be triggering and it does contain conversations around violence, gun crime and murder. So please do make sure that you take a read of the show notes before listening in case that's something that you feel could be upsetting for you. So on today's show, I am joined by Jennifer, who lost her boyfriend, John, last year in an unprovoked shooting in LA. He was shot 12 times. We talk about what it was like for her losing her boyfriend in such a violent way and how she has managed to grieve for him throughout the pandemic. And finally, the work she's doing to protest against current policies in place, which are preventing the killer from spending a lifetime in jail, and he may actually serve as little as 15 years. So please join me in listening to what Jennifer has to say and go and support her in Justice for John. Hey Jennifer, so thank you so much for joining today and how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. And I know, you know, there's so much that you've got to share today that can help others. And I wondered if you'd be able to tell us a bit about yourself and John. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jennifer and I lost my boyfriend on January 31st, 2020 um, to gun violence. Um, John and I met each other when we were 10 years old. We went to um, grade school together and our school was very unique in the sense that we were there from fourth grade. So um, that would be around 10, 11 years old up to you graduate uh, senior year. So we knew each other for years. And even though we were not on this in the same grade, he was a grade lower than me because the the school was so small. Uh, we always saw each other. You know, we always said hi to each other. Um, so I've known him pretty much my whole life. And then when I was in college, I decided to I didn't have social media until uh, my last year of college. And then once I made the social media, he was the first one of the first people to friend me. And we got back in contact, started, you know, talking. And eventually we ended up dating. And at the time of his death, we were together for about five years and two months. And we had lived together for about four and a half years. Well, that's a long time. So he was like your childhood sweetheart kind of thing. I mean, when we were okay, when we were when we were young, no, I didn't I didn't like him. <laughs> he, was, he wasn't my type. He was like a little chubby and, and everything. Um he supposedly says that he always had a little crush on me, but I don't know. I think he was just, you know, 
trying to impress me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so maybe you could tell us a bit about John and what kind of person he was. Yeah, so John, he was a very happy person, always laughing, always making jokes. Um, he loved to play basketball. We always uh, went to parks, to the gym, and, you know, he would play basketball. And then after the games, he would always stay and and scope out the younger kids, and he would um, spend time with them and, and give them pointers and stuff. Um, he was a barber. A very good barber. Um, he has so many clients that loved him. It seems like he knew everybody. Every time we would take trips to Vegas a lot. We loved going to Vegas, Las Vegas. And every time we went out there, he ran into a client, a friend from the park, friend from school. So he was very, he was a very social person. And he could light up a room. Like he, he his spirit was so contagious. Very his laugh. I think uh, one of my favorite things about him was his laugh and his smile. He was always very, very happy. And he had a a huge heart Um, when we moved out together. So we lived together at three different places. um, But the last two places that we lived in, every time one of his friends or family members needed help, they would move in with us. He wouldn't charge them rent. He wouldn't charge him for food, any none of that. If we went out to dinner, you came with us, no questions asked. So he had a very big heart and he was always willing to help those around him. Oh, he sounds like such a lovely person and that, you know. Yeah, he was. <laughs> what happened next just was so traumatic for you and your family and his family. Would you mind telling our listeners the story of how it unfolded and what happened to John? Yeah. And so basically, you know, John, like any young person, went out on a Thursday night. He went to um, a club with our friends and our family members. And he was out there for quite some time. Um, They were having fun. And apparently a car pulled up. And the the strange thing about it was John was actually speaking to the two people um, in that car, having fun from what I hear because I wasn't there. Um, joking around and then it seems like from one minute to the next um, they heard gunshots and that's when um, they realized that John was the one being shot and he was being shot by these two guys that he was just talking to and um, the interesting part is that nobody heard any fighting physical or verbal so it's kind of mysterious as to what John could have said or done to to lead them to to sh- to shoot him in such a such a vicious uh, manner, um, and like I said, from what we've heard, there was no fight. So I'm not really sure what uh, you know what led to them uh, shooting him. But it was only one person that shot him, and this person had an extended clip, so he had 12 bullets within his gun. He unloaded the entire clip. Only nine b- bullets physically hit John. The first six dropped John to the ground. And then the shooter walked over, placed the gun to John's temple and um, gave him three more shots at point blank range. So it was a very vicious killing. It was very brutal. It was an execution. He overkilled him. And that's the that's I think that's the part that I keep on asking myself, like if there was no fight, no verbal or physical fight, what could have John what could John have said? to get this person so angry where he had to overkill him in such a brutal ma- manner. 
And uh, yeah, that's basically what happened. And um, this happened around two, three in the morning. I didn't find out until about seven, seven in the morning. And as soon as I found out, I ran over to the scene and I stayed there until his body was picked up. What did it feel like in those moments? It must have been like a whirlwind. Yeah, it was super shocking. Um, when I got the call, his mother actually called me and told me. And when I got the call, I was in so much shock. The first thing that I said was, I need to call my mom. I called my mom and I'm like, they killed John. She's like, what? I'm like, they killed John. And she's like, okay, I don't want you to drive. I'm going over. Um, so John and I lived in an apartment together, right? So she's like, I'm going over. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to head out. So the whole time I'm just thinking like, wow, like this is, is this real? Like this can't be real. Like I was just in shock. And, you know, I started calling my, my cousins and my friends and I was like, you know, John got shot. And he was, but by that time I already knew he was murdered. Uh, he died. So I was like, John died. They killed him. And um, we, you know, got to the scene and it was just, it was so surreal being there. It, I was, my body was physically there, but I feel like I wasn't. And I yeah. just saw the yellow tape. I saw the tent and I was like, this cannot, this cannot be real. And I stayed there for about 11 hours because it took them that long to pick him up and take him. And then I, I didn't, I couldn't go back to the apartment that night. I went straight to my uh, mother's home and I just stayed there. And about a month after I went back to the apartment and I stayed there for about a month because I feel like it, it helped me to an extent. Yeah. Um, and then I moved out because I couldn't be in that apartment without him. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, because I know how hard that must have been. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about what happened next? So how did you feel with that anger and how did you cope with that? Those unanswered questions? Yeah. So honestly, um, I still haven't felt anger, which is very interesting. And it shocks me because it was very brutal. Um, I would say I never seen the I know I've seen pictures of the person who did this, but I've never seen him physically. So I don't know, maybe if I ever were to see him, I would feel the anger. But honestly, up to now, I don't um, I don't want to give that person that much power over me. He already took, you know, the person that I love the most. So it just I don't go there. Um, but in terms of my grieving early on, it was very, very hard. I would um, cry a lot. I would um, yell his name. I, the first few weeks, I couldn't sleep by myself. So my mother slept with me in my old room, which actually was the same room where John and I initially lived. So it still brought memories of John because we lived, we slept in that room um, years prior. And it was just, it, I don't know, like it was, I would get these you know, waves of grief where I would be okay one second. And the next time, uh, the next second I would be crying, you know, really bad. Eventually I felt like, well, I I enclosed myself. I felt like in a bubble full of my friends and family members. And they really helped me a lot. They were very supportive. They still are. And I think little by little, I started healing. I looked within myself and really started looking at things and ways that I can heal myself. Um, and then about a year after when all the hearings began, that's when I was told that because of some new policies, uh, the person who did this to John might do a very minimal amount of time. So I quickly started going to protests. I drafted emails with the help of my family members. I created a link. And I think that 
has very much helped me grieve even more is has helped me heal more. So I've gotten into a space where, you know, I still think John is the first person that I think about before I wake up and the first person that I think about before going to sleep. Um, and I think about him every second of the day, but it's not so much painful no more. I feel like I felt purpose in this situation. And it's very much like I want to make sure that the people who did this pay for it and I'm doing everything I can. And it brings me some sort of peace and a lot of healing. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, do you think it's given you a bit of purpose now? You're like you're doing something for the better, like you're using what's happened to you and John to now go, look, this isn't OK. We need to go and change things. Could you tell me a bit about the policies as well? Like, what is it that's actually happened? Yeah, definitely. So um, in L.A., uh, the new district attorney, he basically um, introduced these policies where if you're you know, if you kill somebody, you no longer have enhancements of using a gun, for example. So in John's case, if this would have happened years ago, um, he would have the person who did this would have been charged for murder, would have got a, a gun enhancement added to the, the time and a gang enhancement. So now that um, he came in, they don't want those enhancements being added. Also, there's a I don't know if it's a law or a policy, but basically, if you're under the 27 under 27 years old, they treat you as a minor to an extent in the sense that you're going to get the least amount of time. So because the person who killed John was, I believe, around 22, 23, he qualifies for that. So there's a risk that he may do as little as 15 years. And I know 15 years is, you know, a good chunk of time. But the way in which he killed John is just it doesn't doesn't make no sense. So before before this D.A. came into office, it would have been like 25 to life for what he did. And I just think that the brutality of John's crime, it kind of shows you that this person has committed this crime before because you it's. I feel like most of us cannot kill somebody in the manner in which he did like three gunshots to the head. That's brutal. Uh, So I feel like this person has done this before and he will do it again. So this is somebody who shouldn't be out in the streets. And this is somebody who should get every enhancement and allegation added to his case. Do you feel unsafe living in LA? Like with things like this happening, is it quite common? Like, do you hear about these gun crimes like often? Okay, so a person, so I don't, I feel safe, um, but personally, John is the fourth friend who has been um, murdered um, to gun violence and gang violence for me. He has been the hardest one to deal with because he was the person that, you know, I plan a future with. But yeah, he's my fourth friend. So it's not uncommon. I feel like um, a lot of people, instead, you know, instead of fighting, they pull out a gun and because guns are so easily to get everybody has a gun it seems like but it's not it's not like it's not like okay you're gonna go to the grocery store or whatever and you have to be careful that somebody's gonna shoot you or kill you no (laughs) you know it's not that crazy however I do feel that in black and brown communities we do have we see more of this most of this crime and I believe it's because we don't have the resources so instead of us you know learning things like uh, you know, technical trades or learning and going to school, whatever, because we don't have these resources, we go and get into gangs, we go sell drugs. And I think that's what perpetuates this gun crime in our communities most of the time. 
Yeah, it's so interesting to hear because I've never really experienced anything like that. So like for you explaining that to me is like quite eye-opening. Do, do you think that like the protests you're doing now are going to help? Have you seen any changes since? No, I mean, I don't know if they're going to help or not, but I'm going to continue to do it. And there's yeah, a lot yeah. of people. There's a lot of people joining these protests because it's okay. It's one thing. It's one thing for somebody to commit a crime, let's say a robbery, right? So I, I, to break this down, basically, what, the reason why people voted for this DA is because if I'm in a gang and I commit the same crime as you are, but you're not a, a gang member, I'm going to get more time. Now, if the, the crime is robbery, I can understand. Me being in a gang had nothing to do with the robbery. So there's no reason why I should get more time than you mm-hmm. just because I'm in a gang. However... A lot of these murder cases, not only were they committed because of gang affiliations, um, but the, the the guns were also used. So if I'm using if I'm committing a crime because of a gang allegation and if I'm using a gun, those those should be added. Uh, so I think a lot of the a lot of times when I go to these protests is usually parents, uncles and aunts of victims and. Um, a lot more people are joining them because it's just these these um, laws and policies should not affect these brutal crimes. These are murder. And until you can give me my family member back, there's no reason for the person to kill them to have a second chance of life because John will never get that. You know, I can understand if you made a mistake and you robbed somebody, you didn't hurt them. And OK, yes. I believe in reform. We can re- try to reform you, but you killed somebody. You can never give John's mom back her son, you know? And so I feel like that's where, that's where um, a lot of us don't see eye to eye is the people for the DA are saying, you know, these laws and policies are affecting people of color the most because, like I said, it's not fair that we commit the same crime, but I get more time than you because I'm in a gang. But this is murder. So this is completely this every this should be tried to the highest extent of the law. Like you killed somebody. You can't come back from that. Do you think that it's helped bring you closer to John's family? Like, did you feel like you as a community have had to come together to help each other through the grief? Um, Yeah, I mean, I've always been, you know, I've always we've always got along. Um, I've always gone to their parties and you know john has been gone but i always go to his mom's house for mother's day for her birthday for christmas um so i always i try to do that because um i believe that if it was the other way around john would be doing the same thing for my mom um but i don't think it necessarily brought us closer together i feel like we're all dealing with the grief in our own way in our own time you know because the reason why I asked is, um, I know like for me, so when I lost my mum, it wasn't really very easy for me to talk to my brother and sister about it to begin with. And I wondered if John has any siblings and whether that's happened at all, like what, how the family struggle or do find it easy to talk about what's happened? Yeah, he does. He does have siblings. I think, uh, I think to an extent they do feel, um, you know, East and talking in it but then to an extent they don't and then to make it even more real for you the day after John died his 
stepbrother died. So even though they didn't have the same parents, they share common siblings. So those siblings lost two brothers back to back. So it's very tragic. Um, so I think it's the I think it's been very complex where, you know, sometimes we talk about John and sometimes we don't bring it up because we don't want people to yeah. start crying, you know. So for yeah. me, although I keep in contact to all of them to an extent, I stay in contact with the mom the most. And I, I try to continue the things that John used to do for her. So, for example, her birthday comes up, Mother's Day comes up. I try to show up. I take our dog to go see her because, unfortunately, <laughs> that's all we have. We didn't have no kids. So that's where I try to, you know, step in. But at the end of the day, I do understand that we're all dealing with a different aspect of the grief. So for me, I can't I mean, I can be empathetic, sympathetic to her, but I don't know what it feels like to lose a child. You know, so for me, through all these grieving accounts, I, I found other women who have lost their boyfriends or their husbands. And I feel like we can really relate. So have you found that helpful meeting other people that have been through yeah. the same thing? Do you think that is quite healing? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I actually um, so John died before the pandemic, but it was so close that when I went, I actually went to try to do um, gr grief group. But because of the pandemic, it got shut down. So I was never able to go. And I think now I've gotten to a space where I, I've already gotten past that. Maybe in the future I decide to go. I don't know. But um, because of that, I found these other women who've also gone through the same. And I just feel like when we talk and it's these are women in the UK and Canada. So I haven't found anybody in L.A. or in, the, in America. These are all people in UK and um, Canada. But when I talk to them, it's like we can relate so much because we know how it feels like we've gone through it and you know losing the person that you're with is a very interesting thing because you're like your whole being is intertwined with them like when you get out of work you call them when you make dinner you call them every plan that you make is around them you know so when they die is like wow now it's just me again but I'm not used to this no more you get excited and that's the first person you want to call and they're mm -hmm. not here no more so it's it's yeah. very interesting that must be really difficult. And especially like you just said, he passed away just before the pandemic. Was it early 2020? So did it make it harder when you're going through lockdowns and not having him to be there? Like you would have been with him. Yeah. So it was, I, I believe it was both a good thing and a bad thing for me. So it was hard in the sense that you're right. I was like, oh my God, everybody's getting all this time to be with their loved ones and, you know, their partners. And here I am by myself. And then everything is closed. So it's not like I can go out, you know, to eat or to a movie to distract myself. I can't do anything. So everything was like, okay, this is up to you. You have to look within yourself because you don't have anything else to distract you. So I think it was a bad, it was bad in a way, but then I feel like I learned a lot about myself and I was able to learn how to heal myself because at the end of the day, you know, my, my family and friends, they can try to help me all they want. But if I'm not willing to push myself, you know, because at night when I'm crying, my family's not there. They're at home with their family members and their kids and their husbands and their, you know what I mean? So you have to look within yourself. The I, I would say the good thing was that I didn't have to go to work. So mm. two weeks after John's services, I did go to work. Um, and for those two weeks, I would go hide in the bathroom and cry. 
when I would have breaks or when I wasn't feeling good. So when the pandemic hit, I started working from home and I didn't have to do that no more. I can, I could cry whenever I want. I didn't have to hide, you know? So I think everything, it was, it was a mixture of both good and bad. Yeah. Oh, it must've been so difficult, but you know, you seem like a very strong person and you've gone through so much. So I, I really like admire what you've gone through in yeah, terms of the think. way that you've dealt with it. What do you think the next steps are for you then? Do you think that you've got a lot of grief healing to do? Or do you feel like you've really taken the time to process it all? I think I'll be grieving John to the day I die. Um, Because I think I'll always think like, you know, what if? Or, you know, when I see things or places, oh, me and John used to do that. Um, However, I do feel like I've... Okay, so what happened, I feel like we're, we're sort of a click in my brain happened was I remember I was in my apartment. So I decided to go back to my apartment for a month. Right. And I was in my apartment. I was crying. I was holding John's sweater. And then I remember saying, thinking to myself, there has to be other women that are going through this. So I went on YouTube and I searched for this girl. I think her name, or I found this girl. And I think her name is like Michelle Ann or something like that. And she was a widow who lost her husband. Um, I think uh, just out of natural call. I don't know what happened to him, mm-hmm. but he, he wasn't murdered or nothing. And I saw her videos and I saw her attitude. And I was like, this is who I want to be like. Something very horrible and very tragic happened to me, but that's not going to define my entire life. That's just an aspect of my life and what happened to me. Now, I would change everything and have John back. But because I can't do that, I was like, I need to pick myself up and I need to find purpose in myself. And I need to find a way to push myself because, you know, unfortunately, this is not going to be the last time I lose a family member where none of us are going to be untouched by that pain. And although everything will be different and maybe not everything will be a murder, hopefully, um, because murder does bring extra trauma. Um, I was like, I can't I can't I can't, you know, die or, you know, I can't live. I was, what am I trying to say? I can't be alive, but death dead inside, right? Because I yes, have to keep on yeah. living. Like life goes on. And I feel like I wouldn't be honoring John if I used him as an excuse for my depression and all that. So I was like, no, I'm going to push myself. I'm a strong, independent woman. I have a good foundation and I just got to look within myself and find things that are going to heal me. And we're all different, you know, speaking with other women, I know um, a lot of people go, to, like I said, grief groups and a lot of people write their, um, their thoughts. Me personally, I wasn't able to do, um, the grief group and I, and I'm not much of a writer, so that's not my tactic, but we all have something about us that we, I feel like grasp to, and that's what keeps us pushing. I love that positive attitude that you have and it it really goes to show because I can see even now just watching you like how yes you've had something so painful happen but also it's helped like find a new purpose and like drive in your life. I am really curious to ask you and you don't have to answer this but you know as time goes by and the years move on do you how do you think that you'll feel when it might come a time where you would start dating again? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely, I'm not naive to that. I'm definitely, I feel, um, you know, I deserve to uh, meet somebody and I deserve to feel love again. And I deserve to, you know, if it's in the cards for me to have kids. However, I'm not rushing it because 
I feel like if I don't heal myself properly, I won't know if I'm with that person because I miss John and I miss that bond or if I'm with that person because I actually want to be with that person. And that is why I've taken my time to myself to learn myself and, um, you know, just let it come whenever it's time. I feel like when the right time comes, I'll know. But for now, you know, I'm not ready. Because yeah. like I said, I, I don't know. I feel like if I got with somebody right now, I really wouldn't know if because if it's because I'm just like feel lonely if because I, I miss that connection with John. And if to now I feel like and I say to my friends, like, I don't miss having a boyfriend. I miss John. So me having another boyfriend is not going to take that away. Yeah. And like, how can they compare to him? He sounded pretty amazing. He was. <laughs> <laughs> um. We've covered quite a lot already, and I wondered if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about or anything that you think is really important for other women out there that have been through something like this. What kind of advice or help would you you give to them? Yeah, I would just say to really take your time with healing because it's a, it's a lifelong process. Um, don't compare yourself to anybody else's healing journey because all of our you know, all of our relationships with those people that we've lost is very different. They're very complex. So, you know, don't don't compare yourself. We're all on our own time. And I will say this. I, I've been extremely lucky that I have no regrets. When that man was alive, I was there for him since the day we got together to the day that I had to say goodbye to him. So that's something that I realized. And I realized that it's something that not everybody has. And it's okay. It's okay if you have regrets. Just know that there's more to your relationship with that person than those regrets. There's happy times. And I would say focus on those happy times because it doesn't matter if you got into an argument one time or even if the last time you saw that that person was an argument, there was 900,000 other instances where you guys were kissing each other and loving each other. So I, I feel like, a lot of us, when we have that um, that regret, we hone on to it and we create anger and depression. And at the end of the day, that person loved you while you were mad, while you were happy. So don't, you know, I would say that's a big thing to not focus on that. That's so true. A lot of people feel guilt, don't they? Whereas what you're trying to say is there was so many times, 99% of the relationships, you were happy together. And even if you were arguing or angry, they still loved you and they still, you know, they weren't going to be mad at you for it. I also want to know, so I can see you're wearing your justice for John Top. Do you have like any Facebook pages or an Instagram page that is dedicated to him? Because I know you have your personal one, but is there anything we can follow? No, we. I don't have any pages dedicated to, to him. All I have is a um, link that we created, which has a pre-filled email um, addressed to the district attorney. So if anybody feels compelled to send that email, is you basically just add your first and last name on the top and the bottom. And the email is basically saying that we would like um, the person that murdered John to um, be tried um, with both of the enhancements, which would be the GAN and the gun enhancements. And we also have a petition. Um, that's it. I don't, I don't have any pages for him or anything. Yeah. It's good to know about the petition, though, because if you do want help with filling things out like that, we're more than happy to share it. So thank you so much. It's been so interesting to talk to you. And I really wish you luck in helping to change some of those laws as well. Thank you. And I would really like to thank you for um, this opportunity. 
And I would like to say I'm sorry for your loss as well. And what you're doing oh, with your you. page is, is really amazing. And I think it really helps when you're grieving. It helps to know that you're not alone. 